Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today I'm really excited to be joined by Jill Phillips. She grew up in the early 60s in a London that no longer exists. She started life in Lamlash Street. She went to school, she grew up, and after a few years of working in a solicitor's office in London, she decided to emigrate to Canada. She spent 30 years working here as an occupational therapist and a hospital manager. And then towards the end of her career, when other people generally start slowing down, she decided to speed things up a little bit. She's been battling against an insecure mindset and some self-sabotage, things that we all deal with. And those things became a pathway to new confidence in her 60s. She divorced. She moved. She finished writing her master's thesis in occupational therapy. And now, as a published author and a speaker, she started checking things off her bucket list, and she's helping other people do the same thing. Thanks for joining me today, Jill. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. So let's start with a little insight into you. Uh, you grew up in post-war London in a neighborhood and a house that were basically condemned from the, uh, the description in your story. And obviously, as it was happening, you wouldn't realize that you were learning something. But they say hindsight's twenty twenty. So can you tell us some of the lessons you learned from uh, your early life? Well, what was interesting about writing the book, and not that I set out to write the book, but just really reflecting on those days, is um, I understood better what I did learn from those days. Because as you said, you just go through life, you're a child, you just do what you're told and carry on, and everything is just normal. Um, so what I, I learned looking back on that time is how much of an effect my mother, an impact my mother had had on me. Uh, my mum was always slightly different from anyone else in the family in as much as very working class background. So as soon as the kids got to be 15 years of age, you get them out to work, you want money on the table so you can buy food, very concrete focus. And she said, no, she said, my children are not going to leave school at 15. They are going to go on as high as they can in terms of education. And I know when I, I can remember, I, when I got to be um, 14 or 15, I can remember my nan coming round, my, my dad's mother, and say, it's about time Jill went and worked at uh, Boots or whatever the name, like you couldn't have a Walmart type job, right? Nothing wrong with Walmart, but it's an entry level position. Um, and she said, no, no, she's not going to do that. And so because mum was different, I've actually grown up different as well. So mum was, um, she never really, she broke the mould and created her own mould as she went along. She didn't see it that way. It was interesting. When I was talking to her later on, when I'd you know, written the book and showed it to her and said, mum, that was an amazing thing to do. You, know, you, you didn't follow what all the brothers and sisters were telling you you should do. And 
you just went on off on your own tangent basically and she said oh no she said, I just did it because that was the best way to do it sort of thing so even then she didn't see it as breaking the mold or doing anything amazing but because she um, emphasized education I went on to I did occupational therapy as you just mentioned then I did my master's degree and then because I'd done that later on in life when I was thinking of the family stories and and I said to myself oh I'd like to write a book I thought Part of me was saying, no, no, you're never, ever going to write a book. Like, who do you think you are? You're not going to be a published author. That, that's just silly, right? But then the other side of me, because of my mum's encouragement in education, was saying, well, you've written a thesis. I mean, nobody ever bought the thing, but that wasn't why you wrote it in the first place. But you know you can actually write that many words on a page. You know, you can actually write the volume. And then the next question was, can I actually write something that people would actually want to read in quality, basically? But I think it all started, as I said earlier, with mum saying, oh, I'm going to do this because it makes sense, not because the family's telling me to do things. And that's a big thing. I, I think a lot of people fight against that all their lives. The I'm going to do what I think, because it's there's a there's a big stigma against not following the path that everyone else is following. Do you think your do you think your mother thought about that or or? worried about that at all i she said she didn't um but when you look at the dynamics of the time so 1960s very male dominated society uh, men were the breadwinners if women went out to work and they had children at home it was almost like you were neglecting the children um, if you saw a man on the street pushing a a, um, a stroller and with a baby in it then it's like there's something wrong with that family that man shouldn't be doing that you know men don't do those sorts of things so very very gender stereotypes very very strong so there was my mum a woman who was supposed to do what the man said now fortunately she married my dad who was a very quiet man so there was no issues there at all she's sort of ruled the roost um, but her brother she had 12 brothers and sisters um, and they were all, all the, the brothers were like six foot tall very imposing people and her her father was a regimental sergeant major drill sergeant so very very strict male strong male uh, roles in the family and um, I can remember when mum when we eventually left Lamlash Street and uh, mum has decided at that point that she wanted to buy a house and not rent uh, because she said it's a waste of money paying somebody rent um, and as opposed to if you bought a house eventually it would become yours and then you'd have some wealth behind you well the whole family all including all the brothers said you should never do that ivy it's a terrible idea you're gonna have this millstone around your neck for decades and decades to come of paying this mortgage and the stress of paying the mortgage and she basically ignored them all and said no i'm doing this she said she's only like five foot two and she didn't go around sort of you know saying to people i'm going to do this she just said no this is what i'm going to do and uh, this is and yes we're moving here and this is the house we're buying <laughs> you know, it was very matter of fact but it was tremendous i mean no other woman in the whole family would do that nobody wow that's quite and, a, a role model for you well it is it's funny because um i was for mum basically last year of mum's life mum passed away in january last year um for the last 12 months um i was for six months I was living with her and then I moved out to get a little bit more personal space um but I, no I said to her about that don't you think that it was you know very um different for you to do that sort of thing and she said no she said um oh I, she always said to me she said my children were more important to me than the family 
So what in her mind, I think what she was doing was she was giving us a future. And that's exactly what she did. Because I mean, I'm actually sitting in the house that she left to myself, my brother right now. And the house has wealth attached to it because it's just outside London, obviously. But the other thing that happened is she sort of um, changed other people within the family. So my my cousin Joan, who's about four years older than me, she when she got married, um, uh, in, in that her mum always said, "Well, just go and rent a place, go to the council, go to the uh, supportive housing place, and just they'll give you some uh, a, a de- half decent place to live in. And if you have kids, then they'll give you another decent place to live in." But it was paying rent all the time. Whereas, uh, no, she didn't do that. Joe and my cousin then went and bought her house. And then um, years, about 10 years later, I didn't know this until quite recently, my other cousin who had rented a house and lived with his mother for years and years and years, decided he was, there was a right to buy. Basically you could take a, um, um, a council house, a house that was um, supportive housing and you could buy it at a fairly cheap price. He decided he was going to do that. Nobody else in the family did, but he did. And that was my mum's influence again. So mum influenced myself. I've never rented, always bought, had property that I had a mortgage on or whatever. My brother did the same. Um, My two cousins did the same and their children did the same. So because mum changed in the, the, the the norms for the family in the 1960s, that side of the family, our side of the family has done quite well. The other side of the family who said, no, no, keep renting, keep renting. Most of them are just still renting properties now. And being in the UK, there's, you know, houses are fairly expensive here. So, um, and that was just one simple example of how she changed the family. And that's why I was really pleased that I wrote the book because I, other um, generations could see that and hopefully other people as well outside the family. I wasn't expecting other people to buy the book, but just to have that documented really so people would know that wasn't lost that story well i think it's a great story i i read it all um and i was feeling like i was right there with you watching all those things happening and i was dying at the end to know what happened to anthony i don't (laughs) i don't want you to tell me because someone else might read it and that you know that might mess things up a little bit (laughs) but i actually i have to just i mean i won't tell you what happened to anthony but um you're not the first person to ask me that. So being a first time author, you're not quite sure how, you know, if what you've written, people are going to enjoy. And I was, I was walking down just outside the house here. I was walking down the road one day and I heard this voice behind me. It was one of the neighbours saying, what happened to Anthony? And I, and I, I thought, what? what? Because I was, I was just thinking of something completely different. And then they <laughs> said to me that they'd enjoyed the story and they wanted to know what happened to Anthony. And um, that for me as an author was significant because it's like, well, people really enjoyed the book and they're really interested in the characters the people that I wrote about and that's a completely new experience and it's a really good one actually really enjoyed that I think I thought it was very good I I had to keep reminding myself that I had to put it down and go back to work for a while (laughs) that's that's very nice of you thank you nice of you to say so one thing that I think you can probably give Um, me and the listeners some pointers on is how to motivate yourself to pursue major life goals after you've retired. Can you share a little bit about how you managed to do that for yourself and what tips you might have for other people? I think there has to be an emotional um, connection, has to be. Uh, You can sit and say, well, I should be doing this and I should be saying doing that. But unless there's 
an emotional need. If, it, if it's not in here, in your heart, then it doesn't happen. And I think some of the things that I've done over the last 10 years have come from, um, I just had to do it. I mean, there was no choice. Um, uh, the, the book, for example, um, why did I think I even wanted to write a book? Well, because um, a couple of months before I started writing it, my uncle had said he, he had some war stories and he wanted to turn his war stories into a book. And he'd written so many, it had like three or four outlines in his little uh, book there. And I thought, oh, that's nice, you know, if you can do that. Um, and sadly, he passed away three months later. And we were, I came back over for the funeral from Canada. And we were clearing through his flat to see what, what things needed to be removed because it had to be sold. And I came across a little booklet of his. And it was an outline of the stories that he'd been talking about. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could somehow grant uncle's wish? Because I live with uncle. Uncle and auntie were in the book and they, they, they live downstairs. So very, very close emotionally, almost like a second mum and dad to me. So I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could do that? And then after the, the flat was sold, I had some finances. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. So I had to finish the book for me because um, I wanted uncle's stories to get out there. And then when I had a book coach who helped me with the structure of the book, and so why don't you combine Lamlash Street and Uncle's stories, which is what happened in the end. Um, so it became a sense of, I need to do this um, for Uncle. I need to do it as well because mum was getting older, dad had Alzheimer's, um, he died at, only about two and a half years ago now. Um, they were the, mum was the youngest in the family. So all the other older brothers and sisters had already gone. So I knew if I had, didn't get this down now in writing, those stories would be completely lost. So again, it was an emotional thing. You don't sit there saying, I'm going to make a small fortune out of selling books because you don't, I can tell you that. Um, you do it because you want your story to get out there. Um, so there has to be an emotional thing. Uh, the other thing I, I did um, in the past 10 years is um, I managed to lose a lot of weight, I lost 40 pounds basically, which is a fair bit of weight. It and it, especially when people are saying that your age and all this sort of thing, you're in your sixties, all the hormones and all this sort of stuff. But anyway. What happened though was I slipped and fell um, on New Year's Eve oh, no. and it was on ice and snow and I broke my arm in two places and I also had such a bad sprain on my left ankle. I couldn't walk on it for about two months. It was, I was in a walking boot thing. And of course, that's a lot of time to sit and think about, oh, you know, I'm out of condition and, and of course my medical background as well. And I decided at that point, you know what, I, I had to do something about that. So my Again, my motivation was emotional. I recognized that when you get in your 60s, you can do two things with your body. You can either say, well, at my age, what do you expect? And I'll just sit here on the sofa. Or you can go to the gym, you can swim, you can get your personal trainer, you can lose weight. You can, you can decide what you want to do. You have a, a turn left, turn right type choice in life. And as I'd spent two months waiting you know, for everything to heal, and it was a lot of pain and discomfort as well. Couldn't sleep at night, that sort of thing. Again, that was my emotional um, um, support to get me through you know, another 18 months of you know, watching your, your, what you eat and exercise. And, and uh, I still exercise now. And because I did that uh, two and a half years ago, I started running 5Ks. Have another, I did not, I, I'm not a runner. I only, even at school, it used to be horrendous, the idea of running around a running track. So I, I, did, I ran 5Ks for about six or eight months, then COVID hit, and I haven't quite got back to that yet. And now I'm doing the golf thing. But I think you have to have that emotional drive. You've got to find your real reason for it. Um, it can't be logic, it doesn't work. It has to be something in your heart that no matter what, you 
got a got to, to do this. So it can't just be discipline that uh, that comes along that gets you there. It's got to be something much deeper than than just the the habit of doing something. Uh, well, for me, it has to be because there are times with me and I think most people tend to sort of fall off the wagon a bit with whatever your your focus is in life. And so then you're sitting there thinking, oh, you know, I should really do that. And you either say, well, you know, I'm just going to forget about that now. Or you say, you know what, I, I'm just going to do this for uncle. Or do you want to fall again and have that, you know, and be break your arm again? And like, so you have to have, for me, that's the emotion that pulls you back on track. And then you have to have in place all of the logical stuff, you know, the, the encouragement. And, you know, if you want to lose weight, don't have tons of chocolate in the house. No, that sort of sensible stuff. Um, but no, it has to come from the heart, I think, because that's the driver, I think, for the whole thing. So I guess you, you probably don't have anything to compare this to, but what was it like for you becoming an author at the point in your life when you did, as opposed to, you know, thinking about it growing up and trying to be an author, you just kind of decided later on, hey, I'm going to do this. Um, yeah, I think what had happened was there have been so many things that happened. Um, first of all, okay, so I, I, so I, I did actually write the thesis. That was the, the very first grain of, oh, I didn't think I could do this and I could do it. And then, like I said, I was in an unhappy marriage. And so I divorced in my early, well, my mid-60s, basically, by the time divorce went through. Um, and other people are saying, oh, what are you doing? You should stay where you are and all this sort of thing. <laughs> Um, and then um, the other thing that happened at the same time, I, I got a diagnosis of cancer, which no, I'm good now, but that, so when you sit there and, and, and the, the, the doctor's saying to you, yes, it was positive, the cancer, you're thinking, oh my goodness, and of course I just separated at the time, but then friends came along and they helped me with that. And I think what happened was I, so many things happened to me over a very short period of time that I didn't think I'd survive. Um, that by the time it came to the idea of the book, it's like, well, you know what, I may as well just try this and see, you know, because what am I waiting for? Um, and I didn't, and, and like you said, I wasn't somebody who said her whole life, I have to be a published author. It never occurred to me. I just wanted to get the stories down um, on, in, on paper. Uh, and then, as I said, I had some financial um, means to have a, a book writing coach. And then I had you know, an editor and somebody helped me with the front cover of the book and that page and, and that sort of thing, the um, graphic design person. So I think it was just one thing built on another and another and another. Um, I think sometimes if you say I'm going to be a published author, you say, oh, I'm never going to do that. But if you just look at the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing, you'll find as you, and I've read this tons of times, but it is true, as you go through life, um, when you need somebody to help you, they suddenly come from nowhere. People, are, what I've found is complete strangers can be incredibly helpful. Um, and if you say enough times you need something, somebody eventually will come to you and say, oh, do you need a hand with that? And I'll give you a hand up with it. And it's happened time and again. So I think I see life differently now. I know that whatever I do, there's always somebody who's going to help me through it. I think that's true. I think I've heard that from a lot of people and I've experienced it myself. If you put it out there, say what it is you're looking for so that the universe knows somewhere along the way someone is going to come along with exactly what you need 
It is. And, and I always thought it was going to be sort of maybe close friends and family first would help you with those sorts of things. But they're the last people to do it, to be honest. Exactly. I mean, even after I'd written the book and it was published um, and even after I'd given them a copy at Christmas, which is all they got last year for Christmas gifts, um, they, they, they didn't say, oh, that was amazing. It's like, oh, yeah, I read the book. Yeah, it was quite good, you know. <laughs> That's about it. So it's like, OK, fine. And I spoke to other people and they'd had exactly the same experience. So yeah. uh, now it's often people that you don't expect to say anything that are very complimentary and very helpful, to be honest. I think that's that's a fairly common uh, experience, I think, for people in in any sort of uh, success that they have. The, the people closest to them aren't really the ones that help them at all. They're the ones that are trying to not necessarily hold them back, but keep them safe, I think. And, and I think it's it's really important for everybody to get past that so that they can just step out and say, you know, I can be safe and be bigger. Yes. Yes. And that's the other thing. People don't, people have little pictures in their heads as to how they see you and what your role in life is. And if you don't fulfill that role, they get very um, upset. Uh, They they, they see you a certain way. And um, yeah, I I can remember the first time my sister-in-law said, I said, Oh, I I can't do whatever it was because I'm busy that day. Oh, I said, what are you doing? Oh, I, I'm uh, taking uh, part in a, um, uh, a conference. Yeah, it's in, in Houston, Texas. It's to do with uh, being a writer. And, and the look on her face was, really? What? I said, well, yeah, I've been doing this for a while, you know. <laughs> but so, you know, they don't see you that way. They just don't do, see it, right? Yeah, that's it. So um, one of the things in your little bio that I didn't read or the little um, info sheet that I got about you indicates that you think that being an author has taught you something that's important about um, our stories and just our life in general and how important it is for us to get that story out. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, basically what what I learned, and I learned a lot writing this book, is that our, our forebears, our ancestors, you know, our, our mums and dads and our, our grandparents, contribute towards our life. And we, in turn, contribute towards our children's lives. And it goes on and on. So none of us, or very few of us, for me, for example, work in isolation. We're all building on the attitudes and the beliefs of our, our forebears. Um, and it's interesting because in, so when I, I did research, obviously, when I was doing my, my master's, uh, so there they talk about standing on the shoulders of giants. So you go to the read these articles about these um, experts in whatever topic it is. And they're, they're the, the, the giants and you're standing on their shoulders like this little person. And you're going to build on that. And it's going to you know, and you're going to go from that point onwards. And I thought about that. And that's really what we do in life. None of us, um, not in my situation, grow up in isolation. We all have all these influences from the people that raise us. And when I looked back on it through writing the book, it's like, you know what? I, I didn't really understand why I'd done the things I'd done in life and I ignored other people's views, you know, about, oh, no, no, you can't do this because. And then I realized that's what my mum had done. And when I was like a child, so she was schooling me in that, that way of thinking. And I didn't realize it until I looked back. So very much we are products of how we are raised. Uh, we are products of the environment we're raised in. We can go on to do all sorts of weird and wonderful things afterwards. 
Um, but at the end of the day, when it comes right back to it, we are still going to follow the, the basic beliefs of how we were raised. Um, hopefully there were good and positive ones. And not all <laughs> mine were positive. I mean, you know, parents were quite critical in some points, you know, so, uh, and they can be, but you still are a product of that. And, and you maybe learn, you deal with it and you read about things so you can be more positive. But end of the day, that's still your, your baseline, your, your core. That's where you've started from. So then writing that down, even if, even if it doesn't get published, writing that down gives you the hindsight, I guess, that, that you might not have otherwise. Yeah, because I was quite angry. I can remember at the time when we moved from London out to, to here. And I, as a child, I had, of course, they, people didn't talk to children in those days because children were seen and not heard, right? So, yeah. uh, but I was really angry. And I think for decades, I thought, no, I don't understand why mom and dad did that. That wasn't fair, you know. It didn't change my life, but it was sort of like at the back of my head all the time. And then so I was talking to her about, you know, I was doing research for the book and stuff and eventually wrote it all down. And I thought, you know what, I actually understand why they did what they did. I'm not sure I would have done the same thing, but all the anger just disappeared because I, I think they stopped being mum and dad. They started being people, uh, young people who were raised in a family, um, a mum really on her own because dad, as I said, just followed what mum said. So it was really mum was the captain of the ship and there was nobody to challenge her sort of thing. Um, so she was doing it all on her own. Remember, no internet. She wasn't highly educated. Um, her family were telling her something completely different. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it, it gave me a real admiration for her, I think, in a sense. Um, and certainly a good understanding of, of um, why she did it. Um, and because of what she did, it was a tough thing to do. Um, we're in a good position now in life. Well, it definitely... Uh was good reading. Um, your book's called Lamlash Street, a portrait of 1960s post-war London through one family's story. And that story, um, I don't know how to, how to say it, that, that story made an impact on me, even now when you know I'm about to be 60, just because it made me go back and think a little bit more about my family and about the things that had happened. And I guess that, you know, Possibly that's part of what you were doing is, you know, getting people to think about their own lives and think about, you know, what's going on in them and how they can make a difference. And I'm not sure where I was going with that, but I, it's. Yeah, I, it's, I hear what you're saying that. No, I hear what you're saying. What you're saying is every family has a relevant story. And I think they do. Yes. Um, and when I was writing mine, I was sitting there thinking, why on earth would people want to read about me going swimming and what happened in the swimming baths and the fact that the swimming instructor never got her feet wet at all. She just had a broom handle to encourage us to keep swimming. I love I mean, that story. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but why would, why would anyone be interested in that stuff other than it's a bit of a curiosity? Um, so for me, like I said, when I got the thing published, I was like, well, you know, if, if I sell two copies, I'd be thrilled to death. And certainly they'd all be family members because none of them bought them. I had to give them copies. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know what? I don't think we see the, um, the relevance. I don't think we understand how interesting our families are. And what I'd love to see is it'd be lovely if in every um, family, one, the next generation, somebody in every generation 
wrote like an update to the book that would be superb so you had like this is um this history of of the book of the um the family and what they'd done and where they came from and that way you could capture so much of the essence of of what i was exposed to when i was young and then hopefully that would change keep you know moving forward with that influence so um and you'd see so many differences so as as time goes on in each family you'd see the the same things getting passed on, the values, that sort of thing. But you'd see the way that they're different in the next generation and the way that that life changes what you're doing. I think that would be really, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, because uh, my my daughter, who, well, that was the other thing, right? My, I, I gave birth to a son, but my son was, is transgender, so is now my daughter, um, which was a tough thing to go, thing to go through. Um, but we're, we're, we're getting on great, getting really well. Um, but she says to me, because she, she writes, and uh, she said, you know, Mum, I think you should send a little, do a little update in a few years' time as to what you've been up to sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I think every family has these amazing stories, and we don't understand how we can contribute to other people's lives unless we share those stories. That's it. Well, thank you very much for spending some time with me and sharing your your story and your background and how it's changed you I think the fact that you've done so many things later in your life is um, a boon to the to the listeners to the people who are sitting there saying you know I can't do anything what is there left to do if you do nothing else you could write your story and I think that would be a wonderful gift to generations to come Yes, it would be. It'd be fantastic. And you learn so much about yourself and other people while you're doing it. it it's, it's, it's an interesting journey. Yeah. Now, thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, if people want to talk to you about writing or talk to you about anything else, how would they get in touch with you? Um, well, they can go to my website, so www.jmphillips, which is P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S, author.com. And, um, and if you do a search for Lamlash Street, you'll, you'll come across it as well. Lamlash, by the way, is L-A-M-L-A-S-H. <laughs> I'll make sure that goes in the show notes with the link so that people can find it. That's great. Thank you so much. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. To check out the video interviews, please go to my YouTube channel at bit.ly forward slash beyond retirement. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash beyond retirement. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes.